Welcome to The Exit, the most prolific podcast for business owners preparing to transition a business. Today, on average, business owners leave 15 to 25% of their business value on the negotiating table when exiting a business. On The Exit, you will hear from some of the top transition and M&A advisors on how they help business owners like you through one of the most difficult life choices, the sale of your business. From transition preparedness to tax planning or driving value through operational enhancements, The Exit is the podcast that provides real-life insights and access to a network of experienced advisors. Brett Deering, your host, is one of the premier names in preparedness and exit planning for business owners. On The Exit, Brett will help guide you through key topics around preparedness planning while curating timely discussions focused on helping you maximize the value of your business, and when your time comes, help you realize your exit goals. So welcome to this episode of The Exit with your host, Brett Deering. Well, welcome everyone. My name is Brett Deering. I'm host of The Exit. And on today's episode, we're going to discuss how you can have and set up the right foundation for a successful private equity partnership. And to help us with that discussion today, we have Stephen Flyer, a good friend of mine, partner at AUA Private Equity Partners and member of AUA Equities Investment Committee. Uh, just for our listeners to know as well, uh, Stephen also serves as chairman and a board member for uh, several family-owned businesses. And so welcome, Stephen. Uh, great to see you and great to have you on uh, the exit today. Brett, good to be here. Great to see you and look forward to uh, engaging conversation. Yeah, this is going to be a good one. You know, it's interesting. Uh, a lot of the business owners that I've been speaking to of late have been really thinking about their growth strategy, right? And the organic growth conversation versus uh, the acquisition or the acquired growth strategy. And having a relationship with a private equity company is something that you know there there's real interest in and so we're going to get to that today but for our listeners it'd be great if you could just give us a little bit of history and your background before kind of what you do at AUA private equity partners and how you got there sure yeah happy to do so so i'll give you my quick background um started as an M&A lawyer um actually about 30 years ago now in 1991 uh and was really intrigued by M&A and really the sort of reasons behind a transaction. What did a buyer see in a particular business? What did a seller, what were their motivations? What were the desires? Why did two companies come together or, or two families come together and merging or acquiring a business? Did that for about five and a half years, had a great experience in New York, and then was uh, recruited to join uh, CIBC World Markets in their merchant banking division. So really, really focusing more on the principal investing side. Um, utilizing ba balance sheet capital for the bank. Uh, I spent 10 years with a incredible team there, former Drexel executives that were managing the high yield and leverage finance group and also uh, investing capital. Uh, we spun out of that uh, bank and established a firm called Trimarin Capital, which was a middle market buyout shop and spent a number of years there. Um, mm -hmm and then was recruited with a few of my current partners to join a family office. And that was a new experience, but to be working with wow. family um, that had uh, experience in a few, few industries and growing out uh, their interests in the United States and get into other segments. And then ultimately I met my current partner, Andy Nanaway. Uh, Andy mm -hmm. is the former chief operating officer of Goya Foods. Um, 
Also heard that name before. <laughs> yep. And also happens to be um, the, the, the um, grandson of the founder. And Andy had left the day-to-day -day operations of his family's business with his dad and the, the incredible business. Um, and he started his family's family office and ultimately wanted to get into alternative investing, really use the wealth that his family created Mm -hmm. to invest in businesses and companies that he knew best. So we established AUA Private Equity, where I'm a partner today. Mm -hmm. And we have a very targeted strategy. We're a lower middle market investment firm. We focus on either family-owned businesses, very relevant for our discussion today, and or working with Hispanic and multicultural companies in the consumer segment. So a lot of Andy's experience and we think about AUA as almost an amalgamation of the Goya Foods family experience, passing on the business from one generation to the next, their third generation going to fourth and potentially um, understanding the M&A activity there and or working with businesses that are benefiting from demographics and psychographics, reasons people are making decisions on uh, consumer preferences and choices. So it's been a great 10 years with Andy and the team. My partner, David Benjamini, and I have been working together straight since 1997. So we really believe in partnership. And our sort of statement is a partnership first approach. And uh, I think that's very important. And as we get further into that, we'll talk a little bit about what's a great partnership. What does it look like? But uh, sure. we're very proud. We're going on 10 years as the firm at AUA and um, excited about what we're doing, investing out of our second fund, um, all partnerships with other family businesses. And I'll get a little bit into describing some of those partnerships because as I tell any potential seller, and you know this, Brett, um, every transaction is different. There's no cookie cutter right. approach, right? Some families they want nothing more than their children to take over the reins and continue mm -hmm. on. Other families tell me, Steve, this is the last thing I want for my kids. I get up at three in the morning. The alarm goes off Saturday night at a facility. I get a call from my customer. I'm getting shorted by a supplier. You know, I want to sell my business. I want to make, make sure my kids are, are taken care of and let them go pursue their own dreams. And then there are right. folks that are a little bit in the middle there. They want to keep some level of control, right? For some family businesses, this is this is their baby. This is their legacy. It's started by their Absolutely. grandfather or their father, or even they started it. But they also realize that, you know what? Maybe my kids just aren't ready to take over the business or maybe I need exactly. some institutionalization and help with growing the business. So it's it's really exciting and it's a lot of fun because you really want to understand the motivations objectives and goals of a family business. And if you can create a solution for someone, that's what we're trying to do at AUA every, every day. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I hear uh, very similar conversations and stories from business owners that I've worked with in the past um, that have had great experiences with AUA partners. And so, you know, the, the background, the history of the family office, uh, of the Goya name and the family owners, multi-generational ownership of a business, and having the background that the team has at AUA Private Equity Capital, uh, uh, Private Equity Partners is uh, for us, I feel like is kind of, you know, a, a tremendous blend of experience and expertise, but it really helps and lends to a great experience for uh, your business owner partners. And so, you know, it's interesting. This is a really interesting time. And we, we spent going through uh, 2020, which for a lot of business owners, I think was a bit different. Um, I think it really highlighted some issues that maybe they've already had in their business. 
uh, that maybe the pandemic um, accentuated. But now we're kind of past that. And I think we're kind of at the, the other side of the hockey stick, if you will. And I think a lot of business owners are starting to think about what do I do for a growth strategy? So I guess as a state of the state, you know, what are you seeing out there uh, from business owners around some of their concerns? Uh, and what are some of the trends that you're seeing around uh, in the current M&A market? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it's a really unique time, as you know, Brett. I mean, we're coming out of COVID, a pandemic. Uh, you know, for our generation, Brett, I thought the 0809 Great Recession was sort of our generation's depression, that there was a significant downturn. It changed how people thought about money, business, succession. Um, folks in their 40s, 50s, they toiled very hard over the next 10, 12 years to build their businesses back up. If they you know, had suffered um, back then. And then all of a sudden we're hit with a pandemic, right? That's in no right. one's playbook, right? No investment committee memo. No one sort of penciled out there may be a pandemic. We thought maybe a downturn after a 10 year bull run. Um, right. So I think it changed for a lot of folks how they were thinking about business, how they're thinking about life. Unfortunately, people suffered. I'm sure many of us, we've, we've lost someone we know, our friends got ill. Uh, our right. kids, our families were, were, were stuck inside. Um, I think, you know, closing down businesses had a significant negative impact. Um, and now as we're hopefully emerging out of it, there's a lot of determinations that business owners need to take into account. They're getting, you know, a little older. They're seeing that there are challenges in supply chain, right? We're all hearing about inflation. That's a big issue oh, yeah. right now. Commodity yep. prices are going up, input costs are going up. Then you have the challenges with shipping in general, right? You have uh, tankers and cargo ships out, you know, in the ports on the West Coast. They just can't get into the country. You have short- Well, 13 deep, you know, it's, I mean, the stories are interesting. I mean, these ships are sitting out there with all of the supplies trying to get in. And, uh, you know, for whatever reason, they're they're struggling getting the, these, these, these supplies out to and on land for- uh, distribution. It's 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 in, and the containers from what we're yep. hearing as well. It's it's like if you can get a container, you know, kind of the markup that we've seen over the course of the last six to eight months has been uh, extremely high. So yeah, there's that pressure uh, that you're seeing as well. So absolutely. So significant backup in the supply chain, commodities, inflation rising, and then put on top of that, labor. We have a labor shortage yeah. right now. Some of that is you know, driven a little bit by government subsidies, but some of it is a little bit people are looking for new opportunities and hence you can't get drivers. So freight costs are going through the roof. So now you have right. the perfect storm of, I have supply chain challenges, I have labor constraints, freight costs are going up and you are seeing um, further challenges in the, in the workforce. So a lot of businesses are under significant pressure right now. I think mm -hmm. some of it will um, slowly dissipate as we get after Labor Day, kids are back in school, people are going back to work. Um, hopefully you're gonna see some facilities and factories that are able to be up and running 100%. But a lot of business owners right now are facing sort of the perfect storm coming of rising costs, a shortage of workers and freight costs. The flip side of it is, it's a robust M&A market out there, right? Private equity guys have a lot of uh, dry powder, as, I, as they describe in the industry, sitting on the sidelines after 
six, nine months of not doing much during COVID. So they're really apt to go out and find good businesses. Credit markets remain strong. Uh, interest rates are very low. So that's, a, that's on the flip side of the perfect storm is that you have a lot of potential buyers out there. So sellers are weighing, I just came out of COVID. I'm facing a number of um, headwinds in my business around labor, around inflation. But I have a buying universe of folks, suitors that are calling me every day. So to your question, Brett, you deal with this every day. You're advising family businesses. You're consulting with folks. You're setting that stage of, of hey, if you want to think about selling your business, you got to start six, nine months, almost a year ahead of time and start prepping your business. But we have a really robust M&A environment, very strong market. Some of it is potentially driven by the potential concern or fear of capital gains treatment going up. So if I sell my business here, maybe I avoid 10, 15% higher cap gain, but maybe if I keep my business and continue to grow another year, I'll mitigate that. And I would say it's an important factor, but it's not, shouldn't be the only reason that one would sell your business, right? I think you have to take it all into consideration. And I know you're advising a lot of families on that right now. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I would say that um, the one thing that I am seeing with business owners is I felt like in 2019, the conversations was, you know what, I'm having a really good two to three year run. I just want to put a cherry on the top of revenue and growth. And then 2020, I'm going to really think about, you know, the process of transitioning, recapitalizing, taking money off the table um, for my business. And then wham, right? 2020 hits you and it hits you hard. Uh, and now you're stepping out of that into 2021. And, you know, a lot of business owners are saying, hey, you know, I had a great three-year number, um, but, you know, 2020 really socked me and, and I'm trying to rebuild that. Um, and so we're going to talk about that in the second segment. What should business owners be doing to help kind of reestablish that revenue, um, you, know, for, you know, for 2020 uh, as a blemish, as I think a lot of owners may look at it. Um, but what are some of the things that they should be thinking about? And then I think you used one comment before, one phrase, dry powder. Now, for our listeners, I think you and I, we understand what that means. But for a private equity company that has dry powder, what, how would you explain that to our listeners? Yeah, sure. So I think what has happened over the past eight or 10 years, and when you have a very strong economy, is that private equity firms are essentially a, a pool of raised um, committed capital. So private equity firms will go out, they have their clients or limited partners and it's pension funds and it's foundations and it's endowments and it's um, corporate pensions and it's family offices that invest or stand behind or commit to a, a general partner or an investment firm that they believe have a strong thesis or have a particular strategy or style that's very intriguing or interesting or a strong track record, i.e. investment history of successfully investing in private companies and selling them. So over the past eight years, private equity has raised records amount of capital or what we call dry powder. It's committed. It's not utilized um, until a deal happens. And hence, because many private investment firms for most of 2020 did not have as much of an active pipeline or have an active uh, investment um, uh, uh, putting the capital to work, they have a lot of money that they want to put to work. 
marry that with low interest rates because a lot of private investment firms will use leverage. And I think the firms that use leverage where they can help um, deliver strong returns but not over lever businesses will do very well. And I think a lot of people are realizing, hey, this pandemic can happen again or it could look very differently. So perhaps the businesses in my portfolio that were modestly levered were able to work through a very difficult time. If you had a restaurant chain, if you had uh, businesses focusing on hospitality, um, businesses focusing on the consumer, a lot of those went through a very difficult period in 2020. And hence, mm -hmm. private equity firms, I think right now are very primed to put some money to work, finding some good companies. And the flip side of it is you have a lot of families that said, you know what, I went through the 08-09 recession. I managed through it. It was a scary time. I wasn't sure if we wouldn't get to the other side. We did. We spent the next seven, eight, nine years toiling, got the business back and delivering really great results, 17, 18, 19. I then get mm -hmm. hit with a pandemic. And again, right. I suffer where I may have lost my family's fortune or my next generation or two generations um, opportunity to benefit from what we've developed over all these years. So I think right. a lot of sellers really psychologically were impacted. I think we all were impacted uh, by COVID. I mean, this generation's, you know, if you have young children and they're wearing masks and they can't go to school, they can't go to the playground. If you have kids in college, the experience that they're having. If you're a young adult, you know, what experience are you having at your career where your Zoom calls and you can't be sitting in an office working with other folks? If you're a business owner and you see you did a great job with your business, but four of your suppliers went bankrupt and your customers. Right. So we're really in a real interesting period right now or environment where I think there's a lot of ripe M&A activities. And for the right partner, and we'll talk about what is a right partnership look like, for the right yes, partnership, absolutely. I think this is a great opportunity for families to think about selling, whether it's taking some chips off the business and rolling money back in, something that AUA utilizes regularly, where we really want our families to be in partnership with us. Why would we ever want the family that founded this business, that grew this business, that understands the suppliers, the customers, the legacy of the business, why would I want them to walk away? I'd rather roll money in, be partners with us. Let's grow this business over the next four or five years. And then that proverbial second bite of the apple, where you took some money off the table day one, you stayed on. And if we all do our jobs really well, that 30, 25, 40% roll could be worth another three times. And for some right. folks, they really appreciate that because it's a little bit different than what people think about private equity, right? The headlines on private equity, guys come in, they put a lot of leverage, they boot, you know, quote unquote, bootstrap the assets, meaning they use the leverage, they use the assets to support the leverage, they sell off assets, they fire people, they strip down the business, and then they try to flip it to the next buyer. And to some degree that's happened and you hear all the headlines, but there's a lot of great investment firms out there that understand families, understand legacy, understand right. the importance of the customers, the relationships, that engagement with the customers and look at opportunities to really grow and facilitate growth, institutionalize the business, put in an 
ERP inventory system or a sales control system or, or strong financial reporting um, key performance metrics and, and indicators and be able to track the business better. So I think the importance of this time, this M&A environment, low interest rates, lots of money you know, being put to work is you need to decipher who your partner is. You need to understand right. who's your partner, what's his or her value add strategy, what is the ongoing strategy of the business, how will my employees be treated? How will the family be treated? How will the business be treated? And I think as much as a buyer is gonna do diligence on a seller, on the target, on the company, it's just as important for the seller to say, I, I wanna understand who my partner is gonna be. What is exactly. this business gonna look like five, six years from now? This is a business my grandfather started 80 years ago, 60 years ago. So you tell me buyer, what you're going to do with the business, how are you going to do this, and what's the culture? What's what's the heritage of my business going to look like 10, 15 years from now? Really important. Yeah, no, listen, this is a this is kind of a, a great subject to have um, a conversation about because I think a lot of business owners think about what you just described every single day, and it's something that's a, a stress point. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to take a quick break and we're going to move into our second segment and we're going to talk about some of those questions that we spoke about, partnership, what are some of the things that you need to be focused on, and how do you as a business owner start the process of identifying and getting prepared for a partnership. We'll be right back. When is the last time you had a formal preparedness assessment conducted on your business and why is it important? From not knowing where to start in the process to receiving bad advice, selling a business is one of the most difficult processes you will go through. It is also one of the most important decisions you will make. So why leave your success to chance? Our preparedness assessment will prepare you and your business for transaction by helping you navigate the pitfalls of the sales process. Find and fix issues that could cause a loss of value at sale or totally disrupt your ability to sell. So start today by clicking on the link in the summary of this podcast to take a quick business checkup and receive your free copy of the six questions to ask yourself before selling. Now, back to the podcast. Well, all right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, we have Stephen Flyer, who is the partner at AUA Private Capital Partners, and he's going to be talking to us a little bit about some of the things that we really want to dive into today, which is um, how do you really create and set the foundation for a successful partnership? Uh, and so to start that, we're going to ask, you know, ask Stephen the question, what does a partnership look like with AUA Private Capital Partners? Great question. As I said it before, um, not one partnership looks the same. They're all very different because every business is very different and every employee, CEO, founder, um, next generation, everyone's very different. Everyone has different motivations, objectives, and goals. For some families, as I said, they would nothing make them happier that their children stay in the business. For others, they wouldn't want their children to take over the reins of the business. It's too hard. It's arduous. They didn't have time for their families growing up. They'd rather sell the business and pass it on. And for many people, it's a, it's a combination. It's 
how do I stay involved? This is my legacy, this is my heritage. These, this is my employees or my family. Um, can I stay on? Can I roll money? Can I stay a CEO? Can I be chairman of the board? And in AUA private equity, this is what we specialize in. This is what we do. We work sure. with family-owned businesses to help them with their goals, objectives, and solutions. Now, we recommend that they hire folks like Brett and advisors and, and consultants and good accountants and lawyers. And first thing we do is always say, you need to have a really good advisor, someone that appreciates yep. your goals and objectives, someone that can help with whether it's a quality of earnings, so going through the financials, ensuring whether there's certain costs that are running through the business that you know it's normalized if they're one time, if they're not a, a, a type of expense that would a, a buyer or a PE firm would typically see in a business, uh, work with a very good lawyer that understands M&A, covenants, reps and warranties, indemnities. Um, so be prepared on, on your side with the right advisors, but not sure. there's no one set partnership. They're right. all very different. Uh, some deals we've done, we've bought 90% of the business. Some deals we bought 60% of the business. We did one deal where we bought 45% of the company and then had a call option or a right to acquire an additional 30%. And that seller wound up staying on. We ultimately sold that business to a strategic and that founder stayed on through the strategic and still owns money. So he had the proverbial flexibility for the apple. And that was a very so, successful yeah. deal. So the flexibility is important too around the partnership, having flexibility around the ownership um, structure when, when looking at a private equity partnership. Talk a little bit about terms as far as you know, life expectancy for a partnership, because I think there's a lot of misnomers out there. Uh, you know, for AUA, what does that look like around life expectancy of a partnership with a family-owned business? Sure. Um, it, for us, it's typically anywhere from four to six years. Um, and it really depends on sort of the goals and objectives of that family and, and our, our firm as well. Um, you know, I think you could do all the diligence you want. Any investment firm can do a lot of diligence until you get in there and understand, you know, what happens day to day, right? Tuesdays, this yeah. customer mm -hmm. likes to come in and pick up his products and Fridays, you know, the uh, XYZ trucks come in and they're usually delayed because there's traffic over the GW bridge, blah, blah, blah. You don't see that right. in diligence. When you're in there working at day to day, you really see that. So, you know, understanding those, you know, nuances, then it's probably three to four solid years where you build that value creation post acquisition. And it's yep. implementing automation, skew rationalization, looking at scheduling, looking at labor, looking at product development, looking at R&D, innovation, um, mm -hmm. looking at manufacturing optimization, all the things that are a heavy lift that private equity guys typically do a little faster because they're on a clock, they're moving. They are really right. sort of agents of change, but you have to be respectful of that change and understand you don't want to also disrupt the, the culture of the firm or the culture of the company as well. And then, and we'll get a little bit more into this, Brett, but I would say it takes a full year from the decision that you want to sell your business. It takes a full year to get your financials in order and your tax returns in order and setting up a due diligence, ensuring that all the documentation, your legal documents, employment agreements, X, Y, Z, all is in place. So we are typically sort of a four to six year hold period. 
And for sure. some families, they're saying, well, what happens next? That means it sort of leaves my family. At some point, you'll sell to a strategic or another financial buyer. So folks have to appreciate that and understand that. I get a lot of um, families that say, wow, you guys would be a great fit. You're sort of quasi-strategic because of the Goya Foods angle, but you understand the financial side of it. But Andy also understands the, the perspectives of being in a family business because he brings real life perspectives coming out of a family business. So we'd love to do this with you, but we want to hold it 15 years. And I was right. You know, we typically say, listen, that's kind of you, but you know, we have investors that are expecting return. You know, we want, we, we need at some point to uh, really be able to control our destiny or influence the outcome of our investment. So I would say for most private equity firms, it's sort of a four to six year hold. There's some guys that hold it a little longer, but if someone right. said, yeah, this is three, four years, I would say that consider that as probably not someone that's going to really appreciate how to grow the business and is looking for a quick flip. The other piece sure. around partnership I do want to highlight, and I think it's really important, is okay. that the buyer appreciates and understands culture. I know there have been a lot of books about it and a lot of financial guys sort of put that to the side, right? It's sort of this right. soft term. How do you define it? What's a good culture? It's something that AUA spends a lot of time on. We really talk about employees or, or call them associates. Um, we look for in, very much folks that are engaged. We like right. engaged employees. They come in they're excited or proud to be there. They're treated well. They have opportunity for advancement. Um, we run programs for some of our businesses. Um, English is a second language. If it's a um, significant Hispanic workforce or opportunities to you know, go back to school. So we really wanna show people there's an opportunity for you to grow in this company. And I think that active engagement and building the right culture is critical. I know a lot of families do it well because they really treat their employees as, as family. And I think sometimes that can get a little lost when a sort of a investment firm comes in and embracing that, embracing ESG initiatives, environmental, social and governance, better ways to govern, bringing um, diverse, perspectives at the board level, right? Whether right. it's females, whether minorities, you know, understanding that this is a business that we should, everyone should be buying our products. And we need to be talking and being a voice, not only to one subset of the population or community, but having that diversity um, is extremely important and brings different perspectives. Um, I think it's important for all companies to embrace that embrace good governance, good social impact, giving back to the community. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, give money away, but there's opportunities and ways where you could use your company to really help your local community or give right. back to the community. And we really try to embrace that um, in various different ways. So it's the partnership. It starts with culture. It starts with understanding objectives and goals of a business owner trying to meet those goals and objectives, typically a five, six year investment period. You know, for us, we don't put a lot of leverage on companies, maybe it's two to three times. So understanding that your new partner may be putting a lot of leverage on a company that a lot of family businesses, we've never had leverage. 
My father started the business. He didn't want any leverage. His grandfather, his father went through the Great Depression. So you got to, you know, for some folks, leverage is a scary thing. It, it helps, well, yeah. but it's a scary thing. So understand who your partner is and understand the terms of a partnership is very important. Well, I think, you know, and so thank you for that, because I think this is the reason why, you know, we wanted to have you on today so that people can get an, a pre-experience of what it's like to have a partnership. <clears throat> and a lot of times business owner, family owned businesses are looking for these partnerships. And unfortunately, what I do see is that um, that they do come to uh, a private equity partnership that may not necessarily be a great fit for them, um, that may not have the same type of culture. Um, as or cultivation of culture as they have in their family business. Um, they may not have the same directional thought process around what they want to have uh, the end result be for the business. And so these are all what I call with business owner conflicts of interest because ultimately, you know, a partnership is a marriage, right? So once you say I do, very, very difficult to unwind that relationship. So these are all the things that you and I are talking about up front. Um, that business owners want to make sure, family-owned business owners want to make sure that they're thinking about before they get into a partnership uh, with a private equity firm. And we talked about some of the, you know, what we consider to be some of the roles and responsibilities, thinking about, you know, increasing uh, and enhancing operations, thinking about product mix, thinking about being able to have more of a national footprint or an international footprint. So when you're thinking about growth, it's not just one element of your business that you want to have a partnership with a firm like AUA. It's like, how can I expand the business? How can we expand the culture? Uh, and what are the formats for us to be able to do so uh, with a firm that's quite frankly, has extreme experience uh, and successful foundation for being able to provide that kind of growth for uh, their partners? So that's, that's, that's a great question, um, a great way to answer the question. I think the second thing that we wanna talk about are so you see a lot of businesses, right? I, I talk to a lot of uh, family-owned businesses. What are some of the red flags um, that you see uh, when you're looking at uh, partnering with a family-owned business? Yeah, I, I think a lot of it starts with the founder's vision, right? Is the founder open to change or is he very much reticent about making any changes and his way has always been the right way and we can only do it this way because you're ultimately going to get, you know, uh, get into that conflict, right? You're, you are going to bang heads because you want to come in and, you know, private equity guys um, or any buyers think that they can enhance the value of this business. There's a reason they're buying this company. They think they can, you know, whether it's institutionalize it or automate or create more efficiencies, more profitability, which means they're going to try different things. So if you have a founder who's not open to change, I think right out of the bat, that's a, that's off a, very much a red flag. You know, you need to have an open mind. I think secondly is looking at how the business has historically been run. Have has that CEO or that founder or owner have they been able to build a team around them? So if something happens to that founder, right? We talk about key man risk, right? If that one person who has all the relationships or all the know-how something God forbid happens to them, what happens to this business? So has he built a strong team around them? You have to look at family, right? Is there a few kids in the business? Is one, is the daughter really running the business and two sons not involved? And 
Is there resentment among siblings, right? We talk a lot right. about succession, but we talk about equalization, right? Just as important in family businesses. It's very difficult as a parent. You wanna treat all your kids the same, but certain of your kids may have different capabilities and or they just may have a different, um, they wanna do something different in life. So it's important for that equalization succession. So looking at the family dynamics is important. Looking, did they build or bring in professional management around them? Um, looking at the relationships, have they, have they had customers for 10, 15, 20 years, or a lot of new customers? Is there have been a lot right. of turnover? Looking at the employee base, you know, when you look at a company and there are employees that have been there 15, 20, 25 years, in the case of Goya, and he had an employee who was there for over 53 years. Um, that's wow. amazing. <laughs> yeah, that, that no, that's, that's... Really, truly amazing. So looking at those um, areas of the business and sensing this is a really good culture and they're looking to really enhance or institutionalize the business or the founder realizes he's at a point where it's time to bring in a partner to open a second facility to really start growing the business in a way that maybe at 72 years old, he's not prepared to spend $10 million to open a new facility and take some of that risk. And that's fair. I mean, that's a big right. number to ask someone to do so. So yeah, I think it's really understanding, not just looking at the financials and kicking tires and doing your quality of earnings. You're gonna do that as part of diligence, but the red flags are, why is this person selling? What are their motivations? What's happening in the business? Is it two family members that are now fighting? Are their kids not getting along? Are kids just showing up collecting a paycheck? What's the culture? What's the employee base like? We look at a lot of that. And then we start our diligence. And you, know, so you also want to look at what expenses are running through the business. Is the business <laughs> taking care of the family? Or is the family working hard and taking care of the business? And if you we have should the touch matter, on that. We should, right? we should touch on that. <laughs> yeah. If you have the latter, yep. you're going to benefit very well. If the business is sort of this little, you know, ATM that all the, all the family members are taking money out of regularly, it's not going to make it past the second or third generation. It's just not. I mean, you know the statistics that most family businesses, as it's usually it's about 8 or 10% of family businesses get to the third generation. 8 right. to 10%. That's a really small amount unfortunately because they're not thinking about setting up the professionalization of the business and putting in checks and balances as it's going from second generation to third generation and then hopefully fourth generation you need you know you need to put this sort of infrastructure in place probably by the second generation yeah but you said you said something really interesting and, and it just clicked for me so you know, for business owners that aren't looking to sell, but maybe are looking to, you know, start that second or even, maybe even third generation family owned business, a firm like AUA is a, a spectacular opportunity for them because you're giving them kind of that operational, uh, you know, background, right? You're giving them those, you know, kind of that transparency into the business with, you know, kind of the key performance indicators and being able to give them something to see how that business is growing. But I think that's the thing as well, is that even if you're not thinking about selling your business, but thinking about, you know, kind of moving into a, uh, a multi-generational family-owned business, having a partnership or a relationship with a firm like AUA makes sense as well. 
It's it really does. Um, you know, I always talk to folks and I say, listen, if you're just looking for someone with capital, we're not your guys. We're just this right. ton of folks running around looking to invest money. We want to come in. We want to create an enduring partnership with you. We want to help you grow. We want to show you ways of doing things different. We want to use financial metrics to measure the business to show that you could be more profitable by doing certain things, having certain workers come in, staggered schedules, uh, whether it's overlapping scheduling, whether it's looking at all your SKUs and doing a SKU rationalization, looking at automation, not to, that you want to get rid of employees, but take some of those employees and put them in other positions for growth, right? Mm, so automation right. should be a tool for um, enhanced profitability, not to reduce your, your head count, it can do that as well, but uh, the goal should be that we're gonna be really efficient in this area, maybe packaging where there's a lot of touch points, but we're now gonna take these folks and move them to another area or another line where we can continue to grow the business um, you know, looking at marketing, looking at branding, there's a lot of areas to improve businesses that a business owner says, listen, you know, we did pretty well. We did 7 million of EBITDA last year. So we do 6.8. It's fine. We're doing fine. The family's right. fine. And for private equity guy, it's seven should be eight and a half should be not 11. And so right. it's just a different mindset. Um, so if you get an owner to think that way, well, well, I can make even more money if I do these small tweaks. This is a great partner to have. We're going to create more efficiencies. This is how things should be done. No, that's great. I mean, I know that, you know, we're, we're getting close to the top of the hour and I have a couple of more questions that, you know, our, our, our listeners have asked us to ask you. And so I'm going to ask those questions really quickly. Uh, this conversation has been great, Stephen, and we appreciate the, the input. Uh, what's the difference between a financial partner versus a strategic partner? Sure. Yeah. Uh, there are a number of differences. Financial partner will typically utilize leverage in, in, in supporting their acquisition. A strategic may not. A financial partner probably will have more of a partnership with the founder, family, or owner where they'll want them to stay on because that owner or founder brings um, the knowledge set, the industry set, the cons uh, customer relationships, supplier relationships, where a strategic will say, hey, listen, maybe stay on for a year as a consultant. But, you know, we have our team, our SWAT team's going to come in. We're going to move your plant to our facility, you know, in Ohio. Uh, we're already producing this. We just wanted to buy your particular brand or product extension. Um, there's probably more integration with mm -hmm. a strategic quickly. Um, you know, a lot of people look at the Kellogg's acquisition of Kashi, where they sort of rolled that brand in um, under Kellogg's and changed the whole culture and really destroyed the brand. And I think four years later, they, they didn't spin it out, but they let that Kashi brand back to govern the way they saw fit and the, they saw pro the profitability come back. So you see sometimes strategics that will try to take a really great, versatile, flexible brand or company and put it into sort of their more processes, procedures, ways of doing things and sort of hurt and destroy brands. Not all the time. There's some strategics that do a wonderful job, of course, but I think there's sure. probably less autonomy when you get acquired by a strategic, whereas a financial partner could essentially be that partner that wants to grow with you and looks to you for that level of leadership or know-how 
and then add their operational knowledge or their Rolodex of operating executives that can help really grow the business. So we look at it as, you know, two plus two could be five or six in the case right. of a financial buyer. Yeah. And I think for you, I mean, the, you know, the way that I've always explained it is, you know, it's mindset for the, for the business owner, right? And do you, do you totally want to step away for this business and, and have the opportunity maybe a year or two to be a consultant or employee of the company? But at this point, you're turning it over. You're turning over the vision to a, another entity that's going to be managing that business moving forward. Or do you want a partner that's going to really focus on helping you grow the company and take it to where you want it to go? Uh, and then ultimately make that decision at four to six years. Do I want to step away um, or do I want to continue to grow this business and, uh, business and a vision that I've seen fit uh, or see fit? And so it really comes down to the mindset um, for you know, the business owners and where they are in their cycle of ownership um, as to whether a strategic partner makes sense for them and or uh, a financial partner like AUA. Well, that's we have exactly, a couple of quick. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. Strategic partner, get ready to hand the reins over. Yeah. So we have a couple more minutes. I have one question that um, I have to get in uh, from our viewers. And it just says, what are some of the key uh, areas business owners should get in order before looking to partner with a financial partner? Yeah, really, really relevant question. And, you know, it is getting your house in order. If you're thinking about selling now and you want to sell by the end of the year, you got to move. And if right. you're okay waiting for the following year, then, you know, let's get your financials in order. Make sure your tax returns all complete filed. Looking at your financials, understanding, well, this salary probably is not a recurring one or something that someone accept. And, car phone cars uh, cell phones and cars and you know all these other maybe expenses that people you know may put through you have to look very hard at that look at your customers mm -hmm. look at your suppliers look at the contracts look at your employee base are there outstanding litigations are there outstanding claims clean all of that up hire really good advisors right a firm like yours brett that can help advise someone on a liquidity strategy, maybe not a full exit, a liquidity strategy, hire a good lawyer that understands, well, I don't know what reps and warranties insurance mean. I don't know what the indemnity means, the escrow holdback, understanding core terms of the M&A process with advisors. So get your advisors in place, get your books and records and financials in place, make sure you have your built out your team, whether it's a CFO, if you don't have a CFO, outsource that to an accounting firm, get your financials in place and be prepared for a long process. But if everything is buttoned up, it will move quicker and you'll find a lot more success versus sloppy books, sloppy record keeping, sloppy compliance and regulatory manuals, employee handbooks, making sure your hiring practices are sound. You have no um, disgruntled employees. You, you run the business um, as you should be running it and run the business as you would think someone would expect it to be run, you know, six months or a year from now. So it's prior proper planning, right? Prevents the poor performance. That's sort of the same as it goes. But it's a, say, that, say that four times really exactly, quick, right? <laughs> it, it really is getting that um, proper planning in place first. Yeah, that's one of the areas that we focus on is the assessment, right? So, you know, mm -hmm. we look at it and say, where is your business at currently? And quite frankly, we call it the mirror because it helps to show a seller or potential 
uh, person who wants to sell and or get ready for a partnership, what their business looks like to a potential buyer and how those buyers really look at their business from a risk perspective and how risk equates to value uh, or in some cases lack of value. And so always good to get that assessment of your business. Well, listen, I mean, Stephen, as always, I, I, I always get excited when we have an opportunity to work together. Um, you know, we've known each other for almost a decade and the work that you and AUA have done uh, with some of these family businesses has been phenomenal. And so we wanna thank you for that. But before we let you go, uh, there's always one exit question that we always like to ask our guests, and that is if there's one piece of advice uh, that you could offer our listeners about kind of what you're seeing in the space around financial partnerships and or just as a business owner, what would be that one piece of advice that you'd love to offer? Yeah, I, I would say it's twofold, Brett. I would say, again, it's surround yourself with good advisors. It may cost slightly more money up front. They're going to help you get the right price, help you find the right partner and develop or create the right solution or partnership in a stockholders agreement or a purchase agreement where you're not going to find out a year from now you owe someone, you know, $2 million because some claim or some representation was wrong. The second piece is understand who your partner is. As you said during the call, Brett, it's like a marriage. You're getting married to someone, whether it's for a year five years or for a longer term, but you are basically handing over to someone, you know, your, your baby, your kids, something that you grew, your family grew, know who you're getting involved with, understand them, do reference checks on them, speak to CEOs of other companies that sold their business. Um, right. Talk to folks, advisors that work with them. What's their reputation like? How are they as people? Because at the end of the day, the greatest asset of all of our companies are the people. And you got you yep. really want to get into bed with good people that are going to be able to continue your legacy, your father's legacy, grandfather's legacy, respect the culture, the heritage, the employees of your firm, but also help grow and enhance the value over a period of time. So that's the best piece of advice. Happy to talk to you anytime. It's always great seeing you. And if anyone yeah. wants to get in touch with us at AUA, you know, our website, www.auaequity.com. Uh, my name is Stephen Flyer. I'm a partner at AUA, and it was a real privilege to uh, chat with you all today. Yeah, you know, I always say as a part of the exit, one of the, uh, you know, advantages that we want to offer our listeners is our network, right? I've, I've been in the industry for 30 years and have had the pleasure and the blessings of being able to work with wonderful people like you, Stephen, and our, our listeners. Uh, if you have a thought about uh, partnering with a financial partner with a private equity firm, uh, if you have questions about our podcast today in this episode, reach out to Stephen. He's a really good person. And, uh, you know, he's going to share with you, I'm sure, some of the things that maybe some of the other individuals uh, that you're speaking with in the industry may not share. And, and so that's valuable to us and it's valuable to you, Stephen. And thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Have a great rest of the summer and look forward to seeing you soon. All right, everyone. Well, that'll do it for this episode. We'll talk to everyone at the next one. Uh, have a great time. And remember, always be focused on the exit. Till next time, everyone. You've been listening to The Exit. 
Start your preparedness journey today by clicking on the link in the episode website of this podcast to take a quick business checkup and receive your free copy of the six questions to ask yourself before selling. If you have any questions about this podcast or how we can specifically help you, contact us at info at tepodcast.com. Take the first step to exiting on your terms. And remember, always be prepared for the exit.